0: And let's do the smart thing and have a word of prayer here as we get ready to start. Lord, as we just come to you now, we just want to pray that you would be glorified in every word that is taught. Lord, that our hearts would be open just to be equipped to go deeper in you. And Lord, that just your truth, your love, your grace, your mercy, your salvation be presented. And we say thank you for this time. Let your word come alive and help us to hear it, listen, and apply it in your name. Amen. Continue our study here through the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 17. Last week we did verse 3. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. We ended with communion. We ended with the time of prayer, altar call at the end to really stop and say, okay, Lord, look at our hearts, test our hearts, refine us to make us more like you. Now, this idea of being more like Christ means we need to be willing to stop and say, okay, Lord, what areas in my life do I need to get worked on? What areas in my life are not glorifying to you? And one of the biggest areas in our life that we cause the most problems with is our words, is our tongue. That's why I'm having you go to Matthew 12 and James chapter 3 to lay some foundation before we get going. I'm willing to bet that most of you here in this room today, if I asked you what sin tripped you up this week, you probably said something you shouldn't have said at one time or another. I doubt many of you are coming in saying, Boy, James, I just I couldn't control my fists this week. I'm beating people up. I doubt that's happening. But for many of you, it's probably coming in and saying, I shouldn't have said this, I shouldn't have said that. It's our tongue. Now, here's the hard part about teaching about our words and our tongue. We already know, you already know the point of the lesson before we get into it. Watch what you say. We already know that we're supposed to watch what we say. We already know that we're supposed to make sure that what comes out of our mouth is true and helpful and inspiring and kind and representing Jesus. We get that, but it's the follow through, the application that makes it so difficult. I would love it if my kids, if my household, if I could tell them at three years old, here's everything I need to tell you, and I never need to repeat it to you again for the rest of your life. But I will spend the rest of their years at home constantly reminding them of the lessons. There's a reason why repeatedly through the Bible God is telling you, watch what you say. And the reason he's repeatedly telling us is because it's a great, it is a great thermometer. That reveals where our heart is, and to be quite honest, where we are with that, with Jesus Christ. So with that being said, before we get into the teaching in Proverbs 17, let's remind ourselves of some of these verses. Matthew 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad, and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks... Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of your mouth is a glimpse into your heart. Just think about the conversations you have with people. What do they want to talk about? I mean, if they can direct the conversation to something, that shows what's important to them. What excites them? What makes them passionate? That is revealing their heart. So if they're constantly walking and complaining, if they're constantly walking and negative, guess what you're getting a glimpse into? Their heart. If they're walking in the joy and the peace and the love of Jesus Christ, that will come out in their words. Because what happens is this, is the mouth reveals the heart. 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. That should get your attention. Now, we're not talking salvation here. Salvation is done through Jesus Christ on the cross alone. Understand that. You are made right, righteous, perfect, saved by what Christ did on the cross. But what this is saying here is there. You are still accountable for your words. You ever thought about that? Every word you're accountable for. Every opinion you just like to share. Every idea you like to throw out. Every little comment. God says, I hear that. You're accountable for that. We throw words out without even thinking of the impact they have, and then we wonder why relationships start to suffer. 37, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words reveal our heart. This is what we're trying to lay the foundation with right now. What we say reveals our heart, and we are accountable for those words. Now go with me to James chapter 3, please. We've made many references to James 3. I've been doing our study through Proverbs. Because Proverbs keeps taking us back to the tongue. And you're going to see why we're going back to James chapter 3. James 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. Wow, if you can control your tongue, your words, you are a perfect man. It doesn't mean perfect as in sinless. It means complete. If you can have self-control with your words, you can have self-control in other areas of your life. If you do not have self-control in your words, you probably don't have a lot of self-control in other areas of your life. That's what it's trying to say here. So the way you take a look at a man or a woman in the Lord and the way you find out whether they're mature in Christ is you listen to their words. Their words reveal their maturity in the Lord. Verse 3. Indeed we put bits in horses mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles do you realize how much destruction you can do with one match one match can destroy acres one match can destroy buildings it's amazing the power of one word one word it is so vitally important folks before you say it you pray it before you say anything you pray over everything I got a little phrase I like to use. I call it prayed over ideas. I am willing to listen to any idea you have as long as you've prayed over and taken to the Lord first. If you got an idea that you're just throwing out there and you haven't confirmed it in God's word, you haven't taken it to the creator of the universe to think if it's a good idea, why are you sharing it with me? Pray over it first, take it to the Lord, and then say, I feel the Lord is leading me to say this and to talk about it and to do it. But we live in a society today where we just throw out words and comments and opinions so quickly. And then we wonder why these little fires cause so much destruction. Because we're not being accountable for our words. We're letting idle words lead us take a look at six and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature it is set on fire by hell have you ever met somebody that when they speak it is hell fire coming out of their mouth i have met those people every word is just destructive every comment is tearing people down they are people you don't want to be around they are difficult people If they can't control their tongue, how are they supposed to be representing Jesus Christ in every interaction we have? Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. We have laid the foundation of the importance of our words. Let's now go take practical application here out of Proverbs 17. Can you go with me to Proverbs 17? Let's really go into this message and really listen to these scriptures and say, Okay, Lord. My words, my words that represent you. I want to make sure they're for your glory and all that I say and do. Proverbs 17, verse 4. An evildoer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. Okay, false lips, deceitful lips. Some of your translations say gossip. Deceitful lips, gossip here. What a danger that is. I read a great quote this week by James Montgomery Boyce. that says this. I think more damage has been done to the church and its work by gossip, criticism, and slander than by any other single sin. So I say, don't do it. Bite your tongue before you criticize another Christian. There's a lot of truth to that. It's amazing as a pastor when I see the things that cause harm and hurt in the body of Christ. It almost always goes back to words. Somebody said something about somebody else or a situation and you see that destructive tongue. You see that spiteful tongue. You see the damage of it. And that's exactly what it's talking about there in verse 4. Be careful of that. Be careful of giving heed to false lips and gossip. Be careful of having that destructive, spiteful tongue. The words are powerful. And with those words, we destroy relationships. We destroy our witness. We can destroy a lot of things. We've used this example out here many times before. You remember the little kindergarten saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a bunch of baloney. Words hurt. If somebody accidentally comes up and breaks one of my bones, I can forgive you and say, hey, sign the cast, right? If somebody comes up and says something, it's amazing how Satan can put that on replay in my mind for the rest of my life words that were said in anger and frustration and maybe emotion keep being repeated again and again and again. We are so quick to criticize. We're so quick to discourage instead of encourage. We need to make sure that we watch our words with that. And this idea of a spiteful, destructive tongue, the damage that it causes. I read a great devotional about this by Francis Chan. He was talking about the idea of the temple. And he was talking about the idea of how the Bible says we're all stones that are put together to form one building. The body of Christ. This is why it's so vitally important for us to be part of the body of Christ. God says individual stones. No, no, no. You're a stone put with other stones. We're sheep. We're called to be together as one. That's why the enemy always wants to separate us. He can pick us off one by one. But the problem is we come together as this body of Christ and we're a temple. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, it says this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And then he does this. He goes, he says, do you remember back in 2 Chronicles 7? 2 Chronicles 7 is the dedication of the temple. It says the fire came down and God's glory filled the temple. I'm in a season right now where I've been studying a lot about the Old Testament sacrifices and temple. And the temple was an amazing, beautiful building. Amazing. And so you built this temple and the story behind it. It's just an amazing story. And they're dedicating the temple. God's fire comes down and lights the altar. This amazing temple is now up and going. Would you have considered taking a sledgehammer and striking the temple? Of course not. Actually, the temple had armed security. If you tried to get into places where the temple where you weren't allowed to go, you would have been put to death. He then says this, of course not. Then why are we so quick to gossip, slander, and divide the church? If we are the temple, the body of Christ, why do we take a sledgehammer to each other? Why is God so harsh about this, it says. Every time you speak evil about a member of the church, it's like taking a sledgehammer to the temple. Are you sure you want to keep doing that? And then he brings up this great point. We live in a culture today where we are used to evaluating and giving our opinion on everything. Whether it's the pizza we ate, the other drivers on the road, the movie we saw, the friend's picture on social media. Everything is set up for us to able to critique, compare, and criticize. So in the church... Rather than marveling at the incredible mystery that we are part of God's body, we critique the music, the programs, the sermon, anything else we can think of. We point out the flaws in the sermon with the same conviction as we critique a movie star's acting or our favorite team's recent loss. Could it be that we're taking a sledgehammer to the temple in doing so? That's the society we live in. Everybody has an opinion, and we're going to share that opinion all the time without praying over it, seeking the Lord, and stopping and saying, God, is this glorifying you? Is this really, Lord, what you want me to be doing? Because verse 4, am I just giving heed to false lips, gossip, deceitful lips? Am I having a spiteful tongue, a destructive tongue? Lord, am I doing what's right in my words? Because my words are revealing my heart. And if I run into that person that's constantly complaining and negative, I'm getting a glimpse right into their heart. Take a look at verse 20, same chapter. He who has a deceitful heart finds no good he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil he who has a deceitful heart that's an interesting word it means a lying heart it literally means a turning heart a turning tongue I should say this idea of the tongue just keeps turning it's just always saying something it just always is They have an opinion about the weather, about sports, about politics, about the church, about everything. And they're willing to share it. And the tongue just keeps turning again, again, and again. Please remember what it says in James 1. Be swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Boy, swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We have, some of us have a tongue that just keeps turning and just keeps saying things. And that perverse tongue, that turning tongue, will fall into evil. It's going to get you into trouble. What are we supposed to do then? Jump back to 14, the same chapter. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Every one of you here wishes you could go back in time one time and take back words that you said to somebody. Now, you work with people, you live with people, you're married to people, you go to church to people that rub you the wrong way. And what happens is this. You feel the tension, you feel the strife building. You've been around this world long enough to know you're talking to someone and you can feel it getting more tense. You can feel it building up. What do you do? Well, you could just walk away. Leave the conversation. That works. You could let it go. You could realize that you're talking to a fool. And why would you want to go down to their level? They're a fool. Their words reveal they're a fool. Their actions reveal they're a fool. Just leave them alone. Or you could stop and say, let's pray about this. I feel tension building. Let's pray about this. I had, this happened to me just recently. It was just on Friday. I was actually going through Proverbs 17. Here I was. I was actually going and preparing this message. And I was at home, and Dawn came in, and we started talking about a situation. And we were just talking, we had two different opinions that we were not agreeing on. There wasn't a fight. There wasn't an argument. She was wrong. I was right. She didn't realize it. <laughs> but I could just feel the tension. I mean, like I said, it didn't turn into any argument. Feel the tension. And I just read Proverbs 17, 14. So what do we do? Hey, we're not seeing eye to eye. Let's stop. Let's pray. Let it go. We don't need to keep analyzing it. We don't need to keep talking about it. We don't even keep moving on about it. Why would I want to release the water and let the strife get more? Stop the contention before the quarrel starts. You've been around this world long enough, and if you're here this morning and born again and saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you who will speak to your heart to say, be done. Walk away. Leave the conversation. Just pray and let it go. They're a fool. They're acting like the fool. They're talking like a fool. Don't go down to their level. You feel the tension building. Now, some of that works really well in certain areas. It'd be great if it would work in every area at every time that you could just look at your coworker tomorrow and say, Hey, I feel tension building. Can we pray together about this? Amen. That would be great. Some people won't receive it. But you've got to remember when you feel it coming up, stop the contention before the quarrel starts. Same chapter, jump ahead to verse 27. He who has knowledge, spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. He who has knowledge, 27, spares his word, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Back to James 1:19. Be swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Lose this idea that you have to share every thought and opinion that you have. Every comment, every critique, every criticism. Just let it go. That's the world we live in. Any idea or opinion you will share will be prayed over. You are going to pray it before you say it. You are going to pray over everything before you say anything. You're going to understand that your words reveal your heart. And you're going to realize that James 3 says that my tongue can be set on fire by hell. And I need to be careful of my words. So I'm going to do 27. I'm going to spare my words. I'm going to have a calm spirit. Because even the fool is counted wise when he says nothing. There's a guy out here at church that I know. I've known him for years. And he doesn't say a whole lot. But when he says something, it's deep. It's profound. I believe it's prayed over. And when he speaks, I listen. There's other people I know that they just never stop talking. There is something about that person that you know when they're sharing an idea, when they're sharing an opinion, they know that it's prayed over and it's of the Lord. It's going to further the kingdom, represent the gospel, and it's going to be encouraging. It's going to be honest. That's the person I want to talk to. So what we need to remember when it comes to our words, when it comes to these things, watch what we say. It reveals our heart. It reveals who we are as a person, as an individual. Now, what happens though when you're at that proverbial fork in the road? Take a look at verse 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love. He who repeats a matter separates friends. You got two choices, folks. Verse 9, you can cover the transgression or you can repeat the matter and separate friends. You can choose to cover it, or you can choose to dwell on it and gossip over it. What are we going to do? Let's go with the second one first, repeating a matter. You ever run into that person that needs to repeat a matter? Oh, they just can't stop talking about it. They are the people that they'll call you up to talk to you about it, and they'll spend a half hour, 40 minutes going over it, and you finally think you got it handled and taken care of, and they hang up the phone. They're just going to call somebody else and spend another half hour talking about it. And then they're going to get online and post about it. And they're just going to keep on repeating it and going through it again and again and again. They are repeating the matter again and again. And it separates friends. It causes issues and problems. They think they're going to find some type of peace of mind by just analyzing it from every angle and talking about it and getting people on their side and making sure everybody understands When I first was a pastor, I'd have people call me and we would spend 45 minutes to an hour on the phone and we'd get done with the conversation. They would stop and say, Oh, Pastor James, I feel so much better. Thanks for talking. I thought, I am the world's greatest pastor. And they would call back the next day and guess what? We'd spend 45 minutes to an hour talking about the exact same situation. Or sometimes they'd call a couple times in a day. Now, before you think that means I don't want to talk to people, I'm not saying that. But if we're going to keep repeating the matter and not turning to the Lord that has the answer to fix it, If we're not going to quiet our heart before the Lord and say, Lord, you can move in this and I'm just going to pray and have faith and trust you, I'm not doing any good by just reanalyzing and rehashing and going over it again and again and again and dwelling on it. Nothing good comes out of that. Be careful if that's your personality that you feel you're going to find peace by talking to everybody, getting everybody's opinions and figuring out who believes this and who believes that. Be careful of that. Be careful if you're the person that receives those calls. See, I've had people come up to me over the years and they say things like this. I don't know why everybody calls me with their problems. Everybody always contacts me and they always want to talk about it. And I think the reason they always contact you is because you're willing to talk about it. See, if you're willing to repeat the matter with them, they're just going to keep calling you and talking about it. There is a time of giving it to the Lord. There's a time of seeking godly counsel. There's a time of saying, Hey, as my brother and sister in Christ, can we sit down and talk about this and look at the scriptures together? That's not what this verse is saying. This verse is carrying this idea of repeating it and we have to keep analyzing it and rehashing it. Dare we say it's just going to be coming gossip. Gossip under the disguise of trying to go deeper in the Lord. Why is that gossip just so attractive some people like to talk and some people like to listen if you find that combo that's pretty dangerous right there if you're the person that likes to talk please keep your words minimum if you're the person that likes to listen be careful what you choose to let your ears get involved in how do we defeat gossip gossip's actually defeated pretty easily according to Proverbs twenty six twenty. the way you defeat gossip is you quit putting wood on the fire if you got somebody that wants to constantly talk about something that only works if they have somebody who's constantly willing to listen Take the wood off the fire and the fire dies out. But why do we want to hear it? Why do we want to listen to it? But look at Proverbs 18, verse 8. Let's jump actually back to Proverbs 18, verse 6. A fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. Then they go down to the inmost body. Some translation in verse 8 says this idea. They're like choice morsels, dainty morsels. It's like having a huge bowl of M&Ms and you walk by and you say I'm just going to get one. Just one. And then you walk by again and you grab another one. And then you walk by and you got a handful and then you can't even talk cuz they're falling out of your mouth. That's what gossip's like. Oh, I shouldn't listen, but just one more. Oh, I really shouldn't listen, but just a handful. Be careful of that, folks. Be careful. The Bible is telling us, and let me keep repeating these points, before you say it, pray it. Before you say anything, pray over everything. Be careful of repeating the matter. Careful being the one that's adding wood to the fire by listening to it. Be careful of repeating and dwelling on things. It is just gossip. This is not just even in conversations. This is stuff in life as well. And I'm going to share with you a personal conviction Personal conviction means this is personal for me. I'm not trying to push this on you. This is something that I've just started realizing lately in my life. I I like reading stuff. I like reading about sports. I like reading about different Christian ministries. I like reading about this type of stuff. And it really started hitting me later in my walk with life. How many articles I read are really just news disguised. I should say it's really gossip disguised as news. Let me just give you some examples of what I've just realized in my life. I'm reading about a team that I like. And we're reading about what's going on in the locker room. And I hear things like this in the article. Unnamed sources say this. It's like, ooh, unnamed sources. Tell me about the people I've never met that are saying things about people I've never met. That's gossip. That's gossip. Oh, politics. There's people in the White House saying, ooh, tell me about these people that don't even want to give their name and stand up and speak. So they're just going to say this. Guys, that's Gossip. We've got to be careful. And the reason we read those articles and the reason we click through them and we scroll through them is because it is the choice morsels. It's the dainty morsel. It is the bowl of MMs. It's just, oh, I'm going to read another one. And this is what the backup quarterback supposedly believes about the quarterback. That is so junior high ish. And we stop and we say things like this. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, these are men playing a game, getting paid millions of dollars, and it doesn't matter what. No, these are men. That have a wife and kids and we're speaking ill of them and negatively about them. I'm gossiping about them. And I'm giving credence to it by reading articles and unnamed sources and people here and there. I just got to let it go. And it's about anything in life. Why am I reading it? Is it encouraging? Is it edifying? Is it furthering the gospel? No, I'm just going to let it go. What should I be doing? Look at the second part here, verse 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love. We've covered the repeating of matter. How about covering a transgression? Covering it. This is a repeated theme in the Bible. Proverbs ten twelve: Love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs nineteen eleven: It is That is the glory of the man to overlook a transgression. 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Let's cover it up. Go with me now, if you will, please, to Genesis 9. Here's the problem about covering a transgression. It sounds like we're watering it down. We need to speak truth. We need to get out there and represent truth. And by covering a transgression... Hold on a second here. Covering a transgression is not compromising truth. Covering a transgression means I know they're a sinner. I see that they're a sinner. I understand they're a sinner. And the best thing I can do is pray for them and go to them as an individual and love them and speak truth to them. I don't need to talk to everybody else about it. I got an issue that's an issue with well, I'm going to go to them. Covering a transgression is not compromising truth. Please remember about the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. She was wrong. According to the law, she should have been put to death. What did Jesus do? Covered the transgression. Go and sin no more. Let's look at a great example here in Genesis 9 of covering a transgression versus repeating a matter. Genesis 9 verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. Now these were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. So we're after the flood here. They've been on the boat for a year. It's time to get off, and there's just eight people now. Noah, his wife, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, and their wives, eight people restarting the earth, repopulating the earth after this time of being in the ark and the flood. So what does Noah decide to do? Verse 20, And Noah began to be a farmer. He planted a vineyard. Then he drank the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Don't hear about that a lot in Sunday school. (laughs) Kids, what's to learn about Noah? Oh, the guy on the flood. No, the drunk that was naked. That Noah. That's the one I want to talk about. Now, I've heard a lot of people teach on this, and a lot of people try to defend Noah. They say things like, you know, after the flood, maybe the things were changed a little bit. You know, when it comes to the way things grown and the atmosphere, et cetera. And so Noah thought he was making himself a glass of grape juice, Didn't fully understand fermentation. He drinks the grape juice and says, this tastes a little different. Or Noah got off the boat and said, I haven't had a drink in a year and I really want some. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that the Bible says he planted a vineyard, drank the wine, got drunk, and was naked. That's all I know. Verse 22 and Ham. The father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. 22. Ham repeated. Remember Proverbs 17.9. Ham chose to repeat. Verse 23. But Shem and Jephthah took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. Shem and Jephthah covered. That's Proverbs 17.9 right there, guys. Ham repeated, Shem and Jepheth covered. Verse 24, Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, and he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be a servant. And may God enlarge Jepheth and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be a servant. Very simple, guys. I want to be blessed. And I don't mean blessed in some prosperity, gospel, health, wealth, and happiness. I want to be blessed in the Lord. And I can tell by looking at this verse, I'm blessed in the Lord when I cover a transgression like Proverbs 17, 9 says. If I choose to repeat the matter, I'm like ham. I'm not going to be blessed. This is not compromising sin. This is not pretending that sin doesn't exist. It's dealing with it biblically and appropriately. It's not talking to everybody else and getting everybody else's opinion and getting joy and happiness from saying, oh, this person agrees with me. They agree that this person is wrong and I feel so much better now because people agree with me. Or I just need to go talk to other people and say things like this. Am I I seeing it wrong? Oh, no, you're not seeing it wrong. Oh, good, I'm glad I'm not seeing it wrong. Now can we pray for 30 seconds to make it look like we're Christians? Guys, we've got to be careful about this stuff. John Corson says this about this story, the idea of covering. Because even though I know someone may be forgiven, and even though I know sin is common to everyone, looking at someone else's sin or listening to reports of someone else's iniquity taints the way I view him in the future. You see, if you come home from work upset with your boss, and you start complaining and exposing his mistakes and weaknesses to your wife, although you end up feeling much better, your wife stores that information away. And the next time she sees your boss, there are daggers in her eyes. And you wonder why she no longer wants to go to the company picnic. So too, if I listen to the reports of the sin or iniquity of another, it will taint the way I view that person. Malicious exposure is damaging, destructive, and divisive. When we do marriage counseling, one of the counsels we give couples is this. Don't talk about your spouse to other people. Wives, don't go to your mom and complain about how bad your husband is because when that marriage gets healed and restored and hopefully figured out in the Lord, your mom's not going to forget those things and she will always have a tainted view of what he has said and done. We've got to be careful about this type of stuff. We need to do what Proverbs seventeen nine says. Let's cover the transgression in love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Overlook the transgression. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And Instead of repeating the matter, separating friends. Once again, does this mean you let everything go? No. Come on, guys. You, you know the other verses. You know the verses in Proverbs 26 that we reference a lot. Proverbs 26 tells us if you run into a fool, don't talk to him. Stay away. But then the next verse says if you run into a fool, sometimes you need to talk to him. You let, the, you let the Lord lead. But I'm telling you, a lot of times the Lord is saying, just pray it instead of say it. Pray over everything before you say anything. Be careful of expressing those critiques, those comments, those opinions that are so just regularly thrown out there. And say, Lord, I want to represent Christ in all that we say and all that we do. Because here's the deal. I want my heart to be right in the Lord. And the way I view others, and the way I speak about others, reveals my heart in Christ. One last verse about this before I close up. Take a look at verse 5 of Proverbs 17. He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished some other translations say he who rejoices at the misfortune of others he who gloats over disaster is that you? is that me? do I rejoice at the misfortune of others? do I gloat over disaster? do I do exactly what it says in verse 5 I'm glad at calamity sometimes we do don't we? I've heard people say awful things over the years where they have somebody they're having struggle with and they wish that person to hell. You ever thought about what that really is? Wish that person to hell? You want them to go to hell? You want that type of calamity? Yeah, sure, they're not saved. Yeah, sure, they're not right in the Lord. But that's what we want is we want to send them to hell. We want destruction to come into their lives. We want misfortune to come into their lives. We want to gloat over it. We want to say, see, I told you. See, this is what happens when you don't do what's right. This is what happens when you're not right in the Lord. This is what happens. Careful of that heart. Because I want to see people restored. I want to see people forgiven. And I, and I run into this a lot. And people have getting, gotten angry. People have left the church. Because they want people to be on their side. And they want people to be as angry as and upset as they are. Over what somebody else has done. And then we come in and say... Gosh, the Christian response is that we're supposed to love them. Christian response is supposed to pray for restoration and forgiveness. The Christian response is supposed to have grace. Oh, you're just taking their side. No, we're not. What they did was wrong. We've told them they're wrong. We told them they're in sin. But we also want to see them restored. They don't want to hear that. They're looking for people to get on their team that will gloat over disaster and rejoice at the misfortune of others. And they want people to be as angry as they are. What really is happening is their heart is being revealed. And we can't go that route. We can't. I can't be glad at calamity. Because I don't want people to be glad at my calamity. I stand up here every Sunday, every Wednesday, and I teach. And I know that everybody has an opinion on what I say. I know that everybody critiques, comments. They do. I get that. I'm used to that by now. And I know that I've heard over the years, people have told me, And moments of anger and frustration and emotion, people have said some really awful, horrible things. And I can remember people telling me that they wait and they hope that when my boys get older that they fall away. Because that way I can know. Because I think I have it all figured out. Nah, I don't have it all figured out. And if my boys go through a season of rebellion, I sure hope you fast and pray for them because I fasted and prayed for your kids. If my marriage goes through a rocky time, I sure hope you love me because I've tried to love you guys. I don't rejoice over calamity. My flesh wants to. I'm not going to sit up here and lie. My flesh at moments and my flesh at times has wanted judgment to come. My flesh at moments and times has wanted people to learn. And there have been times where I've said, oh, good, let them suffer, let them go through wrong. And it's like, no, I can't do that. That's not the nature of Jesus. And I'm going to share with you another personal conviction take it or leave it this is personal conviction i've changed over this over the years i'm a fan of sports i enjoy watching sports and teams and i've been like many people that when i'm watching a game you get a vested interest in a team i've reached the point right now where i watch a last second field goal on who to win the game i struggle with that i can't root against that guy to miss it anymore i can't you may say oh that's nothing i don't want calamity on anybody And that was something somebody told me years ago. I was sitting in their kitchen one time. We were talking about a basketball game, and a guy missed some free throws at the end. And since he missed the free throws, the other team won. I was going for the other team. I was happy they won. And this guy actually quoted that verse. He said, yeah, I I can't root against people to miss free throws and field goals just so a team wins. That really hit me. And I just wondered, how many times have I watched a sporting event, and I'm watching that last second field goal, and it's for the other team. Oh, I miss miss it. Yeah, they missed it. Man, Why? Because it matters in eternity. Because Jesus is rooting for that team. And because the only thing that matters is winning. No, it doesn't. Paul talks about winning. He talks about that in Corinthians. He says that we train and work hard for an imperishable crown. He says people also train and work hard for a perishable crown. You ever thought about that? Some of these athletes that we look up to will spend hours a day. ...for a perishable crown... ...where another champion will be crowned just one year later. Paul says, listen, if the world is willing to put that much time and energy... ...into something that means nothing in eternity... ...how much more time and energy should you be putting into things... ...that do matter for eternity? Listen, enjoy the game. Enjoy the fun of it. Just be careful. Be careful that we don't lose eternity in the midst of things... ...because what happens is this. In the midst of these games and conversations with people... I can lose my witness by my words, by my actions, by my emotions, by my thoughts and feelings. I can get really fleshly, really quickly. And it goes back to the first verses that we read here. Back in Matthew chapter 12, my words reveal my heart. James 3, my tongue can be set on fire by hell. I got to be careful about that. We wish ill on nobody. We wish evil on nobody. We want to see them grow and go deeper in Jesus Christ. And sometimes that means you've got to have honest, truthful conversations with them. But before I say it, I need to pray it. Before I say anything, I need to pray about everything. I don't need to repeat the matter to a bunch of people. I need to go to that person and say, hey, I love you. I'm concerned about you. Here it is. And I love you enough to speak truth. Let our words be glorifying to God in all that we say and all that we do and realize our words are really revealing our heart and revealing our walk and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Worship team, if you come forward here for the final song.